Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Calling Water. I'm Linda, and for the next few minutes, we'll get to examine a passage of scripture, learn a little more about what it means, and some things this passage might call us to do. In today's episode, Peace Be With You, we're looking at the story of Jesus appearing to his disciples after his resurrection in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, and how Jesus gives us peace in the midst of our fears, worries, and doubts. Let's get started. So I remember when I was in high school and in college, I would often stay out well past the unspoken curfew as high schoolers and college students do, I suppose. And my mom was surprisingly okay with me being out late as long as I regularly checked in and let her know when to expect me back home. But of course, being a teenager, I neglected to do just that. So I would often come home to a mother who was livid with me, who had stayed up late waiting for me, which no doubt contributed to her foul mood, and demanded to know where I was, who I was with, what I was doing. And in my frustration, I would say, I told you what time I'd be home. Why didn't you just sleep? And now that I'm a parent myself, I get how ridiculous that sounds. And she would say to me, how could I sleep when I was this worried? To which I would complain and say that she just didn't trust me. And yeah, it was kind of a bratty thing to say. But that's the thing. She couldn't sleep because she wasn't at peace. And she wasn't at peace because her mind was flooded with all the worst case scenarios of what could have happened to me. And even as I childishly pouted, I was also right. She didn't trust me or anyone else for that matter. Now, fast forward to after I got married and during the times my mom lived with us part-time, do you think she ever stayed up late waiting for me to come home? Not even once. She knew that I was out with my husband, who she trusted, and she didn't have to worry about my whereabouts. She had peace. Trust and peace often work hand in hand like that. And it's to a room full of people who lacked both of these things that Jesus appears after he came back to life. To set the scene of what is going on in today's text, John chapter 20, let's back up just a little bit in the same chapter. At the time when Jesus was arrested, tried, and executed, nearly all of his followers had dispersed and gone into hiding. The gospel passages indicate only a few by name who had stuck around to witness his death and to stay close so that they may honor his burial with spices and perfumes. Now, we can't attribute the action of the disciples to simply cowardice. I mean, imagine being one of the disciples in Jesus' time post-crucifixion. Their teacher and friend had just been taken away and sentenced to the most horrific death. And not only were they powerless to stop it, as devoted followers of Jesus, they were most likely the next targets. So in verse 19, they were hiding in a locked room trying to outrun the same fate as that of their late mentor. But the thing is, they had already heard from the woman who had visited the tomb that Jesus was alive again. Peter and John had investigated the tomb for themselves and had seen that it was indeed empty. Mary Magdalene had been among the first to actually see Jesus, and she reported this to the disciples as well. 
yet. None of these accounts assuage their unrest and fear. They don't find peace or solace in these words at all. We saw in Luke chapter 24 in our previous episode that they regarded what the woman reported as nonsense. And I don't doubt that a lot of this had to do with gender dynamics back in the day, but in this case, I can understand the skepticism of the disciples. Even though they had front row seats to Jesus perform all sorts of impossible miracles, including raising the dead, how could he raise himself back to life? And that's probably why Jesus doesn't let the disciples go off of hearsay. He appears to them, not once, but twice, in exactly the same manner. Both times Jesus comes into the room, though the doors were bolted shut, and shows his old friends his hands where the nails had been and his side where he had been pierced with a spear. Now, one of the disciples, who only experienced this meeting once because he missed it the first time, heard from his fellow disciples that they had seen the Lord. But he responds in John chapter 20, verse 25, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And because of this, this disciple is affectionately known as Doubting Thomas. And Jesus shows up one more time and includes Thomas as an eyewitness to his resurrection. But you know what? Thomas wasn't alone in his doubt. Even after seeing Jesus with their own eyes, all the other disciples went back into hiding behind locked doors. Even as they tell Thomas what they had seen, they're not even sure it actually happened. So when Thomas expresses his doubt, the disciples, instead of trying to persuade him that it was true, join him in disbelief. They recreate the same exact situation as the first time. They go to the same house, they lock the doors, and they wait. Maybe they just wanted to make sure that they didn't have a communal hallucination or something. And Thomas, who wasn't there the first time, could be the one to confirm whether or not what they saw was indeed Jesus come back to life. And sure enough, Jesus materializes before their very eyes. And both times Jesus entered the room, in verse 19 and in verse 26, he addressed them with this greeting, Peace be with you. Now, peace means very different things to many people. To someone who is worried about paying the bills and making ends meet, peace means financial security. To someone with kids at home or in a classroom or maybe just noisy neighbors, peace means quiet. To someone who is searching for deeper levels of self-awareness and reflection, peace means tranquility. To someone battling an illness or waiting for a diagnosis, peace means good health. To people on opposite sides of an issue or crisis, peace means the absence of war or fighting. So in essence, anytime we strive for something that we don't have, we call that peace. Like many words in the English language, peace is one of those words that doesn't fully encapsulate the implied meaning in scripture. The ancient Hebrew concept of peace, shalom, this word means much more than peace, but rather wholeness, completeness, safety, and soundness that is lasting and permanent. And like its Hebrew counterpart, the Greek word for peace here in our text, irene, 
is not just in reference to a personal sense of calm. It's about stability and for humanity to live the way we were divinely designed at creation, for restoration of what was lost when sin entered the world. And in order for this kind of peace to truly be with the disciples, they needed to trust in God. In verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe, he said. Now, this wasn't a message intended for only Thomas. It was for every single disciple present. It's as though Jesus is saying to everyone in the room, look, didn't we go through this already? Haven't we been here before? Haven't I been here before? You've seen me already. Stop doubting and believe. Now, the word for believe in the original Greek is closer in definition to the English word trust. Because believing has to do more with convincing your brain that something is true. But trust is more comprehensive. It's about accepting the truth and bringing it into your heart and letting it define your subsequent actions. So if we were to swap out that word believe with trust, we can hear Jesus telling his friends, stop doubting and trust. And it's that trust that leads to peace. How? trusting that Jesus died and rose again. This is absolutely true. This is what would give the disciples the peace they would need to overcome their fears. And they had quite a few things to be fearful of. Among them, the disciples were fearful of the government and religious leaders. The disciples were fearful maybe even that Jesus, if it indeed was Jesus, would somehow punish them or at least be severely disappointed in them for abandoning him at the most difficult time of his life. And the disciples had to have been fearful that their testimony would not be taken seriously. Who would listen to them and take them seriously if, he said, if they said that Jesus rose again from the dead? But believing, nay, trusting that Jesus has power over death would be precisely the motivation they would need to go do all the things the Bible tells us the disciples did, risking their lives to share the gospel and ultimately dying horrific deaths themselves. They had to believe and trust first and foremost that death is temporary from an eternal perspective, at least. And that made them less fearful of losing their lives for the sake of Christ. Even as they faced persecution and oppression, they were at peace. Now, peace is definitely an elusive concept in today's world. So I ask you today, what kinds of fears, worries, and doubts keep you from attaining the peace that Jesus gives? Because whatever it is, I assure you, Jesus is greater our problems don't have to go away for there to be peace. When we fully, fully trust God in his power and his love for us, then it's easy for us to have peace because we know that whatever it is, God is taking care of it behind the scenes. As Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 reminds us, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. 
So you don't have to quash the things that make you afraid, worried, or doubtful because Jesus meets you in these states. But rather what you can do is take those things to Jesus and exchange them for his brand of true and lasting peace. When things challenge your search for peacefulness, keep your eyes on Jesus, who stands before us still and says, Peace be with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being alive. Thank you for showing up and reminding your disciples and all of us that the nail-pierced hands and the spear-punctured side are not on a corpse rotting away in a 2,000-year-old tomb, but that they belong to a risen Savior, the one who conquered death to set us free. And not only that, you continue to show up and freely offer your shalom, your irene, your peace, to take the place of our fears, doubts, and worries. So may your peace be with us as we consider these truths. Even as the world around us quivers with so many things that threaten our peace, embolden us to hold on to the peace you give us by placing our trust in you completely. And may that trust in you be known in the words we say, in the things we do, in the ideals we pursue, and in the way we live out our faith in community. In your name we pray. Amen.